0: I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on this fine Thursday evening into Friday morning. And I'm going to sort of go old school a little bit on this podcast. Some uh, newsy topics, three sort of bullet point things to touch on on this podcast. And the first one that I wanted to bring to you is a little bit of news that came from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN on Thursday afternoon. He reports that Tyler Zeller, veteran big man, will be joining the Hawks on a 10-day contract that's going to be signed on Friday not a huge surprise here, given the fact that the Hawks have a ton of injuries up front, and we'll talk about here in a second, but Zeller has not actually played in the NBA this season. He's just 29 years old, so he isn't probably as old as you might be thinking in your mind right now. He's not, he's not over the hill necessarily from an age standpoint. And last season, he did play in 66 games for Brooklyn and Milwaukee, but he isn't fantastic. No real long-term potential there for Tyler Zeller. He's someone who I think the primary um, reason why you bring him in right now would be to, uh, because they, he, he kind of has to play right away. He's someone that's definitely a stock gap option for me. I would have been looking in a younger direction if I was the Hawks. Um, you know, They've gone with a younger sort of turnstile of players on the wing since they opened, opened up some roster spots with B.J. Johnson and Jordan Seibert. Uh, Even Jalen Adams is obviously very young at the point guard spot behind Trey Young. But Zeller is definitely a plug and play option. And I think based on the indications that uh, I've heard so far, and obviously just just the signing of Zeller in general, he might be uh, asked to play on Saturday because um, here's a sort of a look at the injury situation for the Hawks right now up front. All indications are that Amari Spellman is going to be gone for most of the rest of the season. He has a four-week timetable for reevaluation on on a high ankle sprain. Elsewhere, Lloyd Pierce said that Dwayne Debbins right, right knee injury that he actually missed the game on Wednesday for does not appear to be serious, but no guarantee, obviously, that he's going to be playing on Saturday or Sunday, and bringing in Zelica might even speak to that um directly. Also, no indication that Miles Plumley is close to playing again. He's been out for quite some time now, but no real upgrade in his status that I'm aware of. And then finally, Alex Poitras suffered an ankle sprain on Wednesday, and Lloyd Pierce said it was going to be uh, a while for him to uh, return to to action. No indication in terms of how long that will be, but I definitely got the feeling, based on what uh, Pierce was saying after the game on Wednesday, that Poitras was not going to be able to be uh, playing this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. So... With all that said, if they did not have Tower Zeller, even if Devin played on Saturday, which is far from a lock by any means the Hawks will only have Alex Land, Dedman, John Collins, and Vince Carter with no fifth big man to speak of before you add Zeller, unless you want to count Justin Anderson, who the Hawks don't seem to be thrilled to uh, go ahead and throw out there. So with Zeller, they definitely needed a body. Um, you know, Either way, even if Dedman can play, they still need someone who has insurance. And if he can't play, they have to have someone just to get through the weekend, honestly. So Zeller will be the fourth big man or, five, or the fifth big man, depending on uh, Dedman's status over the weekend. But you know, part of the appeal, I think, uh, as I said before, in signing Zeller, is just the fact that he's um, a, a veteran who's been around, been in a couple different spots and could probably come in and you know not embarrass himself for a couple of minutes over the weekend. Still, I would prefer the younger option, just someone with more future potential, even if it's a G League guy that doesn't have a ton of upside. Uh, Ziller, we kind of know exactly what he is. There's not really any upside there. So that's kind of my only opinion on that for now. But no harm done here, I will say, from the Hawks' standpoint. Uh, getting someone who is recognizable, who, who probably won't kill you in small minutes. And I think clearly Lloyd Pierce will be turning to Alex Len for the majority of the center minutes. If Devin can't play, I think Zeller will be a spot guy only because they absolutely just have to get through two games in two days. The Hawks do play a back-to-back here against Brooklyn and New Orleans on Saturday and Sunday. It certainly helps that they're both home games no travel in between them but um it's not not, not ideal to be entering a back-to-back set without really any semblance of, of a big man depth and uh, that sort of speaks to the signing that took place on thursday uh one more quick newser before we get into a to a short break and then a bigger topic after that um is that vince carter was on pti on espn on thursday evening this wasn't quite enough for me to write about because i'm not sure it's really any different but i'm going to read the quote to you that vince gave to michael wilbon and tony Kornheiser on PTI about his status for next season. They were sort of poking and prodding about his age and the fact that he could be playing in the next year. So I'm going to say this. This is Vince talking now. And I quote, yeah, I think I can stretch it out to one more. At the end of the year, I ver- I usually assess from top to bottom and see how I'm feeling. And obviously, opportunity when the phone call rings and teams show interest, that's a good thing. Me personally, I think I can give it another year. So why not? We'll see what happens. End quote. Um, People were surprised by this. I saw some like almost like some breaking news type of tweets, not from major outlets, but just people that were seeing this and were surprised by it. This is not a surprise. Honestly, Vince Carter has gone out of his way throughout the season to not say that he's going to be retiring. Anytime someone brings it up to him at least in what I've heard and seen and what I've seen in person even, uh, Vince always sort of brushes that off. Is uh, not He's not going to be retiring. He, he hasn't like been emphatic in announcing that he's definitely going to play next year because at his age, I guess, in theory, he's not guaranteed to have a contract waiting for him. But the way he's played this year, uh, you know, no, it would probably be more of a surprise if he didn't have somewhere to play next year. If he was healthy and ready to go, you know, I didn't really count this as like an announcement of anything different. That's just something that I guess maybe I'm too close to it. But this did not surprise me at all. Vince Carter is someone who has been playing on an, at an NBA rotation level this season. You know, his defense has been spotty at times, but when, when he dials in, he's been quite, quite, quite decent on that on that end of the floor. I mentioned this a couple times this week. He's actually like a pretty much an elite shooter. Vince has been great in the locker room. Everyone, and I mean everyone swears by him. Everyone loves Vince Carter, from Lloyd Pierce to the assistant coaching staff to all the players, young guys. Everyone treats him with all kinds of reverence, and he's been fantastic. He's done exactly what Travis Schlenk signed him to do, and actually probably played more and played better than I thought he was going to play this year. So... With all that said, no big surprise here, but I do want to pass that along to you. The Vince did say some some things on, on national television that sort of lean to him coming back next year. Of course does not mean that he's gonna come back in Atlanta. He's not under contract. He's only he's only he's only on a one year deal this season for the Hawks. I think if I had to guess, if Vince wanted to come back to Atlanta, there would probably be a veteran's minimum contract waiting for him because the way that you know he's loved in that locker room. I know Lloyd Pierce loves him, and I think Travis Schoenberg's been happy with this way he's been playing. I don't know that to be true necessarily on the record. I, don't, I haven't gotten that uh, that affirmation. I'm just sort of reading between the lines a little bit. But we'll see how things go in the future. But Vince does not seem to be ring-chasing. He wants to play. He wants to be an active part of the team. Of course, being in Atlanta helps with his proximity to Atlanta um, and Turner Studios, all that fun stuff. Um, he has some nice media, media opportunities. And I think he's going to be sort of an up-and-coming star in the media once he retires. But no indication it's going to be anytime soon. So we'll see how Vince plays down the stretch here. But again... No, like full announcement here from Vince, but I think uh, it would be sort of in line with what he said throughout the season. So nothing to be terribly alarmed about here. If you are following along with that story, um, with that said, uh, quick break here. As I do want to take a moment to remind everybody to subscribe to this podcast as well as the entire Locked On Podcast Network. It's been huge, so please uh, pass along my thanks to anyone that's going it's gone ahead and done that um, for me here. If you're missing this podcast, if someone else is hearing that, you know you know you have you have a friend that listens to the podcast. Please encourage them to keep downloading, keep subscribing please uh, also encourage everyone to leave five-star fa- feedback and ratings and reviews and all that fun stuff. It always helps to uh, get higher on the charts and all that fun stuff. So please go ahead and, po- and hop aboard. We are not on PeacherHips.com anymore. So please make note of that as well. You can, you can still subscribe though on a number of different platforms from Apple Podcasts to Spotify, Stitcher, overcast all those all those places if we're not there please let me know that and I will get that fixed but uh, it's been huge so thank you for listening thank you for subscribing and please keep doing that for us as we continue to try to grow the podcast after the short break we'll come back and talk about one more topic on this fine Thursday evening all right, and we are back to talk about one more thing on the podcast today, and that was a piece that came out from Mike Schmitz and Kevin Pelton of ESPN. I wrote about this a little bit on Pstrahoops.com, and I want to go a little bit deeper on the podcast here. The general, uh, I guess, crux of this of this particular writing from Schmitz and Pelton was the uh, fact that they were trying to tackle the best long term prospects, and I'm using that as an exact as, a, as an exact wording. Best Long-Term Prospects from this year's Rookie Class the 2018 Draft Class. Um, both guys compiled top 10 lists and wrote about it. So I definitely would encourage you to go ahead and read the entire thing. I can't pass along all of that because, it's uh, number one, it's behind paywall, so it's also quite long. So go ahead and read that if you are able to do so. And then I aggregated some of that stuff over at um, spoiler spoiler alert there. Um, both guys had Luka Doncic at number one. That's not a huge surprise from this class, considering Doncic is the, is the rookie of the year favorite. I know Trey's been great lately, but in terms of overall body of work, Lucas had the best fr- the best freshman season, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. And um, no big surprise there. And also, Trey's actually older than Luka, which, which I think people have kind of forgotten. Not a lot older, but there is, I think there's this like perception that Luka, because of all of his pro status in Europe, is a little bit older. Uh, but he's actually not. He's actually younger than Trey. So file that away for the future. But Moving on from there, uh, Kevin Pelton has Jaron Jackson Jr. at number two, and then Trey Young at number three. Nothing crazy there, I don't think. But Mike Schmitz is a little bit lower on Trey Young. He has DeAndre Ayton at two, Jaron Jackson at three, Marvin Bagley at four, and Shea gilgis Alexander at five ahead of Trey Young, which definitely raised my eyebrows and raised a lot of people's eyebrows in the, in Hawks land. Obviously, fans are never going to love when guys aren't given a ton of uh, love. In this space, and I think you know that makes a lot of sense. I, I knew as soon as I read it, the fans are not, not going to love that, and I just want to shine some light on that as well. Um, just for the record, I, I like Shea a lot, and I think even before the draft, in this space on the podcast, I've referenced that quite a bit. I do think though that it's pretty wild to rank him ahead of Trey right now with what we've seen for sixty games. I do think that Shea's been pretty good. At the same time, I think Young is pretty clearly a better prospect at this moment, given what we've seen so far. And you know, I'm not the hot take homer guy that's going to come out and scream about Trey Young being incredible and all that fun stuff, but he's definitely been um, quite good on offense, especially. I think there's obviously an argument for the versatility and defense of Gilchrist Alexander because he's uh, intriguing in that way, and he's actually been pretty good, I think, for the Clippers. He's definitely in more of a supporting role. I just can't see him offensively bringing the kind of uh, fireworks and upside that Young brings to the table. If you want to make an argument for him, it would be because of defense, obviously, because Trey is as we know, not very, not very good on defense, but still, I think it's pretty crazy. Um, and I'll say that, you know, I, I do like Mike Schmitz. I think he's uh, good at what he does. This is one that I don't, I don't necessarily agree with just in general. And of course, uh, Hawks fans wanted to jump to this. I, I, I intentionally did not talk about this last week, or I guess it was almost two weeks ago now. But uh, for a bit of context here, a three-man panel of Pelton, Chris Herring, and Bobby Marks um, went out to rank the top 25 players in the NBA under, under 25 in late February. And that same week, uh, Trey Young had a three-game stretch where he averaged 40 points, 11 assists, and 6 rebounds per game, which is crazy. Anyway, 16 threes in three games. So it kind of made him look, look a little bit bad because they did not have Young in their overall top 25. Two of the guys did rank him in the top 25, but he did not get the average enough high, I guess the average high enough to in that ranking to actually be in the top 25. 25, which felt wrong even in the moment i tweeted one thing about that at the time i didn't want to make a huge deal of it because you know it's just one of those things but um obviously young's been uh the last you know i guess since the all-star break even longer than that i've been something that i want to point out it's not just the all-star break young had a really really ugly november and early december period but since then he's been quite good like averaging like twenty and 28 or something like that um i don't have the numbers in front of me right now but he's been very very good so with that said, um, you know, the timing's kind of funny on that, so I think we at least a couple a couple of people pointed out that ESPN was kind of trying to write their wrong with some more positivity. I won't say that. It's never like it's not really a conspiracy like that. I will say, but you know, Trey is someone who I think is pretty clearly uh near the top of the class. We'll talk about how I have the uh, top the top of this group myself here in a moment, but I wanted to at least reference that here at the top for some context. Elsewhere on the list that both uh, Schmitz and Pilton put out, Kevin Herter was number ten on both lists, which is obviously a great sign. Given that the Hawks got him at number nineteen overall, I said this a few times on the podcast already. But Herter is a no doubt lottery pick. If you if you redo the draft, I think Herter has not been as good this season as some guys who were drafted around him, just in pure production for this year. You know efficiency. Um, def, uh, you know, defense, all that fun stuff. I do think though, the Herter has a, a lot higher upside offensively than most guys that are in this conversation outside of the top five or so. Um, I think you can sort of get into some, into some nitpicking, but for me, he's definitely ahead of guys in front of him like Colin Sexton, Jerome Robinson. Um, Michael Porter Jr., Troy Brown, who I actually still like a little bit, but I I, I do think Herter's better. Xavier Smith, who's not played at all this year, you kind of have to lean toward Herter, who's played at the NBA level. Dante DiVincenzo and Lonnie Walker. All those guys I think Herter has to be ahead of in a redraft scenario or a ranking scenario. And there's no one behind him that I think is definitively better than he is. There are some guys that are in the same tier, maybe, as Herter that went behind him in the draft. We'll talk about it here in a second but i do think herder at number 10 is not crazy at all um individually i had a couple people ask me how like how, how i would rank this i wanted to at least pass along and sort of end the podcast this way on this fine day um i think there's sort of a clear top seven for me donches is number one for me still i know that hawks fans won't love that but it's just what it is I, I mean it wouldn't blow me away if he didn't if he was not the best player in this class considering you know he's his part of the thing with um Doncic was his I guess lack of theoretical upside coming into the draft. I never really saw it that way. I think he can be a star. He kind of is on that tra- tra- trajectory already. But, you know, nothing crazy here. I think not is just number one for me. Um, after that, I think I would put Jaron Jackson and Trey Young in their, in their own tier together. I think for me, uh, sort of a tier two situation with those two guys. I love Jaron. I do think that defensively his upside is special and the shooting brings a lot of things to the table offensively. Uh, his rebounding is bad, so there's, that's something you have to point out because he's a terrible rebounder right now. That's going to be a problem long term if he doesn't fix that in a hurry. But I do think those guys would be number two and number three for me. Um, and then from there, a a tier that has DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley in it together would be sort of interesting to me. I think Ayton's actually been kind of sneaky better than you would think. Um, I know obviously he was number one pick in the draft and his numbers are really good, but early on in the year his defense was terrible, but from, from uh, you know, the early part of the season to now, he's grown quite a bit. So without going too deep there, I think he's been pretty good. And uh, same, same for Marvin Bagley, I think it's actually been better than I thought he was going to be as a rookie as well. The top five in his class, by the way, is awesome. And uh team should be very, very happy with the, with the guys they picked. Uh, obviously, I think the one, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the Suns and the Kings would like to have Doncic now if they, had to do over, if they had it to do over again. But still, those guys have uh, got some uh, pretty good players and pretty good prospects in Aiton and Bagley. After that, I would so that's the top, that's the top five in some order. I think you know pretty clearly in some tiers there, and then after that, I think I would put Wendell Carter and Shea Gilgis Alexander at six and seven in some order. Um, I kind of kind of argue with myself on where to put them, but that's sort of a tier in itself. That, that top seven. After that, I think the it's sort of a larger tier for me with guys like Mikhail Bridges, Miles Bridges, Kevin Herter, Mo Bamba, Mitchell Robinson, Joshua Kogi, Landry Shamit. Um, that would be my next, uh, I guess, six guys in some order. I think Carter would be somewhere around 10 for me, 9 or 10. Um, I think probably, pretty pretty definitively behind McKill Bridges, but maybe somewhere in the Miles Bridges tier. Moe is a tough one because he's older than you think. I didn't love him in the draft. I do think the people are sort of overreacting to him negatively. Um, I will say that. But, you know, that's kind of where I would put those, those six or seven guys. And then after that, I'm going to say this again, after that that tier for me would be, would be Kevin Knox and Colin Sexton. I am not a big Kevin Knox fan. I know he had the one player of the month run in in New York, but he's been really bad this season on on the whole. Uh, Doesn't really know what he's doing, all that fun stuff. And then Sexton's been really bad in Cleveland. I know he's he's from Atlanta. He's had some moments, but I never really loved him in the draft either. So something to keep in mind there. But that's sort of a a definitive top 15-ish ranking for me. But that's basically where I'd have uh, Herter. I think he does have the highest op, highest offensive upside outside of that top seven. I, I think offensively, I would take Herter over Bridges, either the Bridges or Bamba or Robinson or Okoge. Uh, I guess Shamit's the closest thing, but you know Shamit's just a shooter. doesn't really do much more. I think Herter has a lot more creation upside than Shamit does. I think Knox's upside, if you put it all together, might be higher than Herders, But I just don't like Knox very much. I think he's been pretty weird, and it's sort of a tough thing. You can sort of see it, though. If it all came together, I think his upside's probably a little bit higher than Herders, But other than that, you know, Herders in pretty good company there. And I think, again, the biggest takeaway for me is that the Hawks nailed that draft pick um, by all counts at this point in time. So that's a lot of information, I know. But I, I do want to sort of t- dampen down some of the screaming that was happening about that post especially towards Mike Schmitz. I totally get it. And I think, uh, again, Cliff Notes version here, I do think that ranking Shea ahead of Trey is just pretty bad right now. I'll say that out loud. But, you know, a lot of time a lot of time left. And even Pelton was tweeting about this a little bit. You know, Kevin Pelton's been on this podcast before. I really love his work. He's pointing out that it's, it's sort of a perilous exercise. I'm sure somebody asked him to do this, and it's too early to be redrafting or reordering these guys. It's kind of a, you know it's just too early for all this I I've sort of re- resisted the, the the temptation to do, go, go ahead and do, do that myself throughout the process and that's the reason why I'm not trying to do it as firmly you might have noticed that I was trying to do some tears I think that's probably the best way to do it right now and uh, you know two three years from now you'll probably do a definitive redraft or maybe over the summer if you've seen the full season all that fun stuff you could try you could try to do it again but uh, you know the big thing for me is that Herder and Young are working out quite well for the Hawks at this point in time and that's very very nice to see for Atlanta so that'll do it for today's podcast. No more pods unless something crazy happens until after the game on Saturday. The Hawks host the Nets on Saturday night and then the Pelicans on Sunday night. I'll be in the building for both those games, so I'll have podcasts after both in a normal game game recap style without anything else that's transpiring over the weekend. So please stay tuned. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Subscribe, 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 and check us out. So it'll pop up right in your feed. It makes it easier for you, actually, all things considered. And uh, subscribe and download all that fun stuff. We'll see you guys on Saturday night.